Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This will be for Judges chapter 11. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, and dwelt in the land of Tob, and there were gathered vain men, or empty, or idle, or worthless, to Jephthah, and went out with him. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me, and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now, when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go up with us, and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? Or I shall be your head, in the Hebrew. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land, when they came up out of Egypt from Arnon, even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan, now therefore restore those lands again peacefully, or peaceably. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the, of the children of Ammon, and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up, came up from Egypt, and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea, and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through my land, through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto, and in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent, and Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness, and compassed, or went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east side of the land of Moab, and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into, our, into my place. But Sihon tr trusted not Israel to pass through his coast or border. But Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all the people, all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites and the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before the people Israel, and shouldst thou possess it? Wilt thou not possess that which Chemoth thy God giveth thee to possess? 
So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. Art, and now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon, and her towns, and in Aror, and her towns, and in all the cities that be along by the coasts of Arnon three hundred years, why therefore did ye not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou dost me wrong to war against me. The Lord the judge be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou wilt, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return to in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now here's a rash um, comment that's being made here, um, that, his, that if he does this, then his child uh, will be offered if he comes out of the house. Anyway, so Jephthah, there might be a mistranslation here. Let's read further. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he smote them from Aror, even till he they thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels, or small hand drums, and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when he saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. The Hebrew, thou hast indeed brought me to my knees, and thou art one bringing trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. I made a promise, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which that hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for thee, for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and draw upon the mountains, and bewail my virginity, and I, my, I and my fellows." And he said, Go, and he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. So I need to explain a few things here. Many have, have supposed that Jephthah offered his daughter as a human sacrifice, and a literal reading of the text may support that view. But if that is true, some difficult questions are raised. Jephthah was regarded as a great hero and deliverer of Israel, and even his sacrifice of his daughter is treated in a way that suggests the author of Judges viewed it as a commendable act. Jephthah is used as one of the examples of great faith. Would this case be true if he had engaged in human sacrifice, an act viewed as one of the greatest of abominations in ancient Israel? Why does Jephthah's daughter bewail her virginity rather than mourn the approaching loss of her life? After Jephthah had fulfilled his vow of sacrificing his daughter, the text states that she knew no man. Bible scholars have suggested an explanation that adequately answers these questions. Jephthah 
was compelled by his vow to dedicate his daughter to Jehovah in a lifelong virginity. The entreaty of the daughter that he would grant her two months' time in order that she might lament her virginity upon the mountains with her friends would have been marvelously out of keeping with the account that she was to be put to death as a sacrifice. To mourn one's virginity does not mean to mourn because one has to die a virgin, but because one has to live and remain a virgin. Even, But even if we were to assume that mourning her virginity was equivalent to mourning an account of her youth, it would be impossible to understand why this should take place upon the mountains it would be altogether open, uh, opposed to human nature that a child who had so soon to die should make use of a temporary respite to forsake her father altogether. It should no doubt be a reasonable thing that she should, be, she should ask permission to enjoy life for two months longer before she was put to death, but that she should only think of bewailing her virginity when a sacrificial death was in prospect, which would rob her father of his only child would be contrary to all the ordinary feelings of the human heart. Yet inasmuch as the history lays special emphasis upon her bewailing her virginity, this may, must have stood in some, pop, in some peculiar relation to the nature of the vow. And this is confirmed by the expressive to bewail her virginity upon the mountains in life. If life had been in question, the same tears might have been shed at home. But her lamentations were devoted to her virginity, and such lamentations could not be uttered in the town and in the presence of men. Modesty required the solitude of the mountains for these. And so again, the still further a clause in the account of the fulfillment of the vow, and she knew no man, is not in harmony with the assumption of a sacrificial death. This cause would add nothing to the description in that case, since it was already known that she was a virgin. The words only gain their proper their proper sense if we cannot if we connect them with the previous clause he did with her according to the vow which he had vowed and understand them as describing what the daughter did in fulfillment of the vow the father fulfilled his vow upon her and she knew no man i.e. he fulfilled the vow through the fact that she knew no man but dedicated her life to the lord as a spiritual burnt offering in a lifelong chastity and the idea of a spiritual sacrifice is supported not only by the words, but also most decisively by the fact that the historian describes the fulfillment of the vow in the words he did to her according to his vow, in such a manner as to lead to the conclusion that he regarded the act itself as laudable and good. But a prophetic historian could never have approved of a human sacrifice, and that was by Kyle. Also, compare the vow of Jephthah with the vow of Hannah uh, with regards to Samuel. We are now approaching what to many will appear most difficult part of the history of Jephthah, perhaps among the most difficult narratives in the Bible. It appears that before actually going to war, Jephthah solemnly registered this vow, If thou indeed givest the children of Ammon into mine hand, and it shall be the outcoming one that shall come out from the door of my house to meet me on my returning in peace from the children of Ammon shall be to Jehovah, and I will offer that a burnt offering. We know that the vow was paid. The defeat of the Ammonites was thorough and crushing, but on Jephthah's return to his house, the first to welcome him was his only daughter, his only child, who at the head of the maidens came to greet the victor. There is a terrible irony about those timbrels and dances with which Jephthah's daughter went, as it were, to celebrate her own funeral obsequies, while the fond father's heart was well-nigh breaking. 
But the noble maiden was the first to urge his observance of the vow unto Jehovah. Only two months did she ask to bewail her maidenhood with her companions upon the mountains. But ever after was it a custom for the maidens in Israel to go out every year for four days to praise the daughter of Jephthah. This is the correct rendering and not lament, as in our authorized version. There was a curious custom in Israel in the days of our Lord twice in the year on the 15th of Ab, when the collection of wood for the sanctuary was completed, and on the Day of Atonement the maidens of Jerusalem went in white garments, specially lent them for the purpose, so that rich and poor might be on an equality into the vineyards close to the city, where they danced and sung. Could this strange practice have been a remnant of the maiden's praise of the daughter of Jephthah? Such is the story, but what is, the, what is its meaning? What did Jephthah really intend by the language of his vow, and did he feel himself bound by it in the literal sense to offer up his daughter as a burnt offering? Assuredly, we shall make no attempt either to explain away the facts of the case or to disguise the importance of the question at issue. At the outset, we are here met by these two uh, these two facts, that up to the, that period, Jephthah had both acted and spoken as a true worshiper of Jehovah, and that his name stands emblazoned in that role of the, of the heroes of the faith, which is handed down to us in the epistle to the Hebrews. But it is well nigh impossible to believe that a true worshiper of Jehovah could have either vowed or actually offered a human sacrifice, not to speak of the sacrifice being that of his own and only child, such sacrifices were the most abhorrent and opposed to the whole spirit and letter of the law of God. Nor do we find any mention of them till the reigns of the wicked Ahaz and Manasseh. Not even Jezebel had ventured to introduce them, and we know what thrill of horror ran through the onlookers when the heathen king of, of Moab offered his son an expiatory sacrifice on the walls of his capital. But the difficulty becomes well-nigh insuperable when we find the name of Jephthah recorded in the New Testament among the heroes of the faith. Surely no one guilty of such a crime could have found a place there. Still, these are considerations which, though most important, are outside the narrative itself, and in any truthful investigation, the latter should in the first place be studied by itself. In so doing, we must, we must dismiss as irrelevant the untruthful such pleas as the roughness of those times, the imperfectness of the religious development, or that of religious ignorance on the part of the, out, of the outlaw Jephthah, who had spent most of his life far from Israel. The scripture sketch of Jephthah leaves, indeed, on the mind the impression of a genuine, wild, and daring Gilead mountaineer, a sort of warrior Elijah, but on the other hand, he acts and speaks throughout, throughout as a true worshiper of Jehovah, and his vow, which in the Old Testament always expresses the, the highest religious feeling, is so sacred because it is made to Jehovah. Again, in his embassy to the king of Ammon, Jephthah displays the most intimate acquaintance with the Pentateuch, his language being repeatedly almost a literal quotation from Numbers 20. He who knew so well the details of Scripture history could not have been ignorant of its fundamental principles, having, the, having thus cleared the way, we observe that one, that the language of Jephthah's vow implied from the first at least the possibility of some human being coming out from the door of his house to meet him on his return. The original conveys this, and the evident probabilities of the case were strongly in favor of such an eventuality. Indeed, Jephthah's language seems to have been designedly chosen in such general terms 
as to cover all cases, but it is impossible to suppose that Jephthah would have deliberately made a vow in which he contemplated human sacrifice, still more so that Jehovah would have connected victory and deliverance with such a horrible crime. Two, in another particular, also the language of Jephthah's vow is remarkable. It is that the outcome, whether man or beast, shall be to Jehovah, and I will offer that a burnt offering. The great, Jeho- the great Jewish commentators in the Middle Ages have, in, op- in opposition to the Talmud, pointed out that these two last clauses are not identical. It is never said of an animal burnt offering that it shall be to Jehovah, for the simple reason that, as a burnt offering, it is such. But, when, but where human beings are offered to Jehovah, there the expression is used, as in the case of the firstborn among Israel and of Levi. But in these cases, it, was never, it has never been suggested that there was actual human sacrifice. Three, it was a principle of the Mosaic law that burnt sacrifices were to be exclusively males. Four, if the, if the loving daughter had devoted herself to death, it is next to incredible that she should have wished to spend the two months of life um, conceded to her, not with her broken-hearted father, but in the mountains with her companions. Five, she bewails not her maiden age, but her maidenhood, not that she dies so young, but that she is to die unmarried. The Hebrew expression for the former would have been quite different from that used in Scripture, which only signifies the latter, but but for an only child to die unmarried and so to leave a light and name extinguished in Israel was indeed a, a bitter and heavy judgment viewed in the light of, of pre-Messianic times. The trial appears all the more withering when we realize how it must have come upon Jephthah and, and his only child in the, in the hour of their highest glory when all earthly prosperity seemed at their command the greatest and happiest man in Israel becomes, in a moment, the poorest and the most stricken. Surely in this vow and sacrifice was the lesson of vows and sacrifices caught to victorious Israel in a manner the most solemn. The Hebrew expression is Bethulam. If, If it meant maiden age, it would probably, as Kyle remarks, have been Nurim. It is very significant that in 1139 it is only said that Jephthah, did with her according to his vow, not that he actually offered her in sacrifice, while in the latter case the added clause, and she knew no man, would be utterly utterly needless and unmeaning. Lastly, we may ask, who would have been the priest by whom and where the altar on which such a sacrifice could have been offered unto Jehovah? On all these grounds, it's utterly contrary, contrariety to the whole Old Testament, the known piety of Jephthah, the blessing following upon his vow, his mention in the epistle to the Hebrews, but especially the language of the of the narrative itself, we feel bound to reject the idea of any human sacrifice. In what special manner, besides remaining unmarried, the vow of her dedication to God was carried out, we do not feel bound to suggest here. Here the principle long ago expressed by Clericus holds true. We are not to imagine that in so small a volume as the Old Testament, all the customs of the Hebrews are recorded, or the full history of all that had taken place among them. Hence, there are necessarily allusions to many things which cannot be fully followed followed out because there is no mention of them elsewhere. In general, the Mishnah con- condemns in unmeasured terms female asceticism, but in the Talmud, one instance at least is recorded with special praise in which a virgin 
who wholly devoted herself to prayer. Uh, Shibboleth means stream, which the Ephraimites pronounced Shibboleth, and that was all by Edersheim. So that's the end of chapter 11, and we'll see you next time. Bye.